Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host. As a writer, speaker, and former legislator, we discuss limiting government, fiscal responsibility, and fair taxation. I'm a mother of seven and a wife of one for over three decades, so I bring you my personal experience. And now it's time for Homefront with Cynthia Davis. A Tuesday night. It is Homefront. Thank you for joining me again tonight for another infusion of how we're going to make people bigger and government smaller. And tonight we're joined by a very special gentleman. He is the head of Reclaiming Missouri for Christ, Mark Kaiser. Mark is a very informed and intelligent person about what's going on to see the entire landscape of what is going on. You're invited to call us tonight if you have any questions. Our phone number is area code 347-677-1835. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, about how we're going to get our state and nation on track because if Missouri could get it right, we could be a model for the rest of the nation. I remember when I moved to Missouri about 29 years ago and I got a taste of freedom that we didn't enjoy in Massachusetts. Not Nothing wrong with Massachusetts. It's a... Uh, you know, some, somebody's got to live there. But the point is we all have to navigate through the public policies and ask what makes some states better than others. While there's no state that's perfect, we do have a lot of great opportunities here in Missouri. So, Mark, are you with us? I'm here. Hooray, Mark. Uh, Mark, I want to thank you for being on our show tonight because you've had an opportunity to see the big picture, and there is so much going on. I represent the St. Louis side of the state. Actually, I tell people I come from the East Coast. <laughs> and, yes. Oh, yeah, dear. That, that, that means I'm on the West Coast. Thanks for the trade. <laughs> well, we actually have a Mississippi River that defines our border, and so, I, I mean, coming from Massachusetts, I think that still holds true. But nevertheless, what I love about Springfield, when I first moved to St. Louis, I thought this was wonderful. Then when I got introduced to southwestern Missouri, I thought this is even more wonderful. You folks tend to be a little more like what our culture was like 10 or 20 years ago. And I love the way you tend to have more freedom, more churches, and more conscience. And things that would happen in St. Louis don't happen down in southwestern Missouri. I, I remember the first time you invited me to come and speak at your Reclaiming Missouri for Christ meeting, and what was so special about it is I believe I was still in the legislative session and I was sitting in my chair in the chamber with nothing more to do but to check my email. <laughs> Most of the representatives, now that they are, when I first got elected, by the way, we used paper 
and we were not connected to the Internet. By the time I left the legislature eight years later, everybody could get on the Internet and look at anything they wanted. And so frequently people would check their email and and do whatever they, business they could take care of while the debate droned on and on and on for hours. But right. nevertheless, I was so impressed that you asked me to come down there and speak. So tell me, how did we first meet? Oh, wow. Um, we actually met through Gregory Thompson. For goodness sake, I didn't know. It would have been through Gregory Thompson, uh, Dr. Gregory, and when we were trying to, uh, Greg and I were doing the uh, citizen, citizen's petition uh, to define um, life beginning at conception through personhood. Well, see, I remember him coming to my office many times and sitting on my sofa, but I didn't realize where all the, the links connected up. So I was honored that you would ask me to speak at your group. I think we you have something very special going on because, you know, you think about it, St. Louis has, the metropolitan area has a population of about 2 million, and in Springfield you haven't even cracked 200,000. So yeah. we are much bigger than you folks are, and yet we can't even pull a pull together a meeting like with the attendance that you've done of Reclaiming Missouri for Christ. So what is the spark? Um, I, I hope and pray that it's that, that people are waking up a little bit because it, it, maybe it's just me, Cynthia, shouting really loud, uh, kind of like the watchman on the wall and saying, hey, look, they're coming, they're coming. Uh, it's here, it's here. Evil's here. Uh, darkness is here. Wake up, wake up. Because sometimes we have a tendency to go back into our pews and fall asleep. And so I, before I answer too much of it, I want to kind of praise you, Cynthia, because when I met you, and yes, you were still in the legislature, you were, in my opinion, uh, very rare, because here was a a, a lady that was representing the, the fine folks of the state of Missouri, but you were also doing it, and and you were not compromising. Uh, first of all, your faith uh, in Jesus Christ, and second of all, you uh, were not compromising the Constitution. And and I got to tell you, that's very rare. And um, I'll just say it out loud on the show here: we need you back in office, and we need you back in office very quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, go ahead. a lot of, actually, most women in office are pretty far to the left, and that's just a statistic. Uh, when I was there, 30 out of 163 representatives, 34 were women, and out of 34 women, only nine were Republicans, and yeah. out of the nine Republicans, only seven were pro-life Republicans. <laughs> wow. So <clears throat> what you'd call conservative. So we were we were very much in a minority. I remember when I hired a legislator assistant one time, and he said he went home to see his mother that weekend in Kansas City, and she was crying, and, and he said, why are you so upset? Because she was the head of the Republican women's group out there, and she said, I just can't believe you'd work for a Democrat. 
<laughs> couldn't believe I, I couldn't believe that he found a very strong conservative woman in uh, Republican. Right. That's that's yes, that's it's, I could see that, but really, this, you know, you know most of the story uh, with what's going on in Springfield. Um, same thing that happened just recently in in San Luis County, uh, where they're trying to pass the sexual orientation, gender identity are bringing in as a protected class. And really, that right there is what's gotten people fired up. Well, let me, before we get into that, I want to ask you this, um, going back to this earlier topic of what's going on with the Republican Party, because when I first got elected, all the open homosexual representatives were Democrats. And there was an assumption that the Democrat platform uh, supported and embraced deviant sexual behavior and the Republican Party stood for family and traditional values and people who didn't support family and traditional values just didn't feel comfortable in the Republican Party. Well, about a year ago or, or so, there was a... Republican representative who stood up and announced that he is the first openly homosexual legislator in any state chamber in the whole country who is a Republican, and there were Republicans who stood by him as he made that announcement, as well as the homosexual Democrats, and I was really amazed because years ago, if you stood up and announced that I practice strange and bizarre behaviors in the bedroom that really wasn't accepted as part of why you need to tell everybody. And pretty much if you were like that, then it would make it less likely you would get elected next time. We've come to a point where it almost makes it more likely that you'll get elected next time, and that should give us all shudders. It should. It should, but we've we've how, we've doled it down. I, I mean, when we, I hate to say overlook, is that the right word? We overlook, and, and we could probably go way back further than than uh, former President Bill Clinton. But when you have a president that does what he did, goes on national TV and lies about it, and we as a people of the United States put him right back in office. And that's not only happened on the Democrat side, it's happened on the Republican side as well. When we do that, then then when this guy stands up as a Republican saying, hey, I'm gay, it didn't shock a lot of people. It was the the dullness was there. It was just like, oh, okay, well, that's in his personal life, so it it doesn't matter. And when someone like yourself or myself or someone says, claims foul or, or, or makes a negative statement, then we're the bad people. And and uh, pretty much says we're in the minority. We we are we're watching before our very eyes. I was on the Children and Families Committee when we passed the ordinance or put actually on the ballot a change in our Missouri Constitution that would state very clearly and definitively that marriage in Missouri is between a man and a woman. And I remember when we had the debate and the discussion was, all you need to do is put it on the ballot and it will pass because it passes everywhere by at least 70% of the vote. Well, 
that was true 10 years ago. In 2003, you could count on something like that passing with a huge amount of support, public output, saying, yes, we like that, that's what marriage is, indeed, uh-huh. Now, what we've got, fast forward 10 years later, and what happened in November of this year, of 2012, just a few months ago, not even six months ago, you saw states who just did the opposite that said, no, we're not, we're going to put in our constitution that marriage is anything you want it to be. And, and it's shocking because we took for granted how easy it was when we had public opinion with us. The sad truth is that the people who held to the traditional biblical Judeo-Christian values are dying off and the younger generation who is up and coming voters are sympathizers to a larger degree than ever before. They're like, well, I don't get what, what the big deal is. And well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. <laughs> if you're not performing those acts in the public square, then why is it a matter of public policy? And we're watching, I, I, I came down to Springfield a few months ago to speak against the ordinance, and we'll explain in a minute what the ordinance is, but before I do that, I want to tell you a few months before that, I went, it was probably about a year ago, when I went to University City, which is a suburb of St. Louis, and they were passing a an ordinance that said we're going to recognize domestic partnerships in our city. Yeah, the state of Missouri wasn't going to recognize domestic partnerships so the municipalities thought maybe we'll go ahead and do it on our own and the surprising part you can't tell by looking at people around you what their orientation is but as soon as the ordinance passed I was sitting there with two other friends and everyone around us got up and cheered now in my chambers when I was in city government we would not have allowed people to do a public display like that at all. But each city has its own rules, and so everybody got up and cheered. I didn't realize how much of a minority. We have just become a very, it, it felt like it was three of us against 73 of them. I was afraid to walk to my car that night thinking, oh, boy, <laughs> it's a, you hope nobody keyed it, or I did have bumper stickers identifying who I was, but the point is we are now moving into a different culture. It may not even seem recognizable, but it's totally different. So then I came to Springfield when I heard that you were having a proposal to say that people could actually, if businesses don't give special treatment to people who practice deviant behavior in their bedrooms, that they could have a lawsuit against them. And that's really a quick nutshell. There's way more to it. But you were kind enough to help me set up a press conference outside the city hall chambers. And while I was speaking, there was somebody who wanted to, there were counter-protesters and people holding up signs declaring their preference, and somebody tried to yell over me. 
And yes. I was so disappointed by the uncivil behavior. And the reporter from the Springfield News Leader came up to talk to me afterwards, and he asked, why are you so hateful? And I said, wait a minute, you just saw this. We aren't yelling over them. That's not how my mother taught me we should behave in a society where we have freedom of speech, where people should be able to express their own opinion without fear of other people being downright rude. So that was shocking. The other thing that really amazed me, again, just going into the numbers behind this, is the city clerk took people one for, one against, one for, one against, and it was supposed to be fair and balanced, but there were actually more people to speak in favor of homosexuality than people who were speaking against it. And that was a big surprise. And again, the issue at the, at the city council level is not even about what you do in the bedroom. It was about should we make it easy for people to sue businesses. And even if you don't have any opinion on sexual behavior, we should all have some sensitivity to how litigious we want to make our society because that's going to cost everybody. Well, we do, and, and really, too, I want to kind of back up what you said to help people, the listeners, really hear what you're saying, was when this first came out, uh, it was in the Springfield News Leader, it was in the newspaper, they had interviewed every city council member, and every city council member but one was in favor of this. Okay, It had never been discussed, people in the city of Springfield didn't know about it, but here's here's the city council that has, including the mayor, that's going to vote yes on this. The one guy, the one man, had said he needs to hear more. Well, of course, we bring in Cynthia Davis, and I had Dr. Scott Lively here, and, and we start shouting the clarion call to get the Christians to come out, because this thing's just, first of all, they can't give one statistic that says we even need it as, a, as an anti-discrimination ordinance. They can't give one case where it's happened in the city of Springfield, and one of the things that was in there was public accommodations. And what they mean by that is if a transvestite chose to use the opposite restroom, they could do so legally. Now, public accommodation would be your local Walmart, and if your little daughter's in there or the little son or whatever's in there using the restroom and the transvestite wants to come in, it's okay. That makes it legal. Well, as a, as a man, first of all, I have daughters. I have a problem with that. And so we start bringing this up to the city council, and what do they do? They start changing their mind. And, and thank you, Cindy, by the way, for coming down here. You're one of the few people that had either actually been in legislation or actively that would speak out against this. I, I called numerous people that are state reps that live in Springfield that didn't have the guts to come out and speak against it because they felt that if they did, they would not be reelected. The funny thing about it is they didn't get reelected. <laughs> they still didn't speak out against it um, because their opponent spoke out in favor of it and got elected because they came out in force for them. But long story short, we get them to table it because there is an outcry in Springfield. And so what they do is they send it to a task force. The mayor sends it to a task force. Now, this task force is supposed to be a um, – What's the word I'm using for? The task force is basically, basically supposed to be an equal, even task force, and they're going to research this and bring it back to the city council for their recommendations. 
Well, when you go down this task force, there's maybe two or three people, two that I know of, that you know are going to stand strong on the Constitution. They're going to stand strong on moral principles, and they're going to stand strong on what's right and wrong. The rest of them are either, A, active members of PROMO, or were promoting this ordinance in the first place. And, and you go back and you think, you ask yourself, you say, well, I thought this was supposed to be a biased task force. And they still think it's a biased task force, but it's not. It's, it's not at all. They have one pastor from First Baptist Church in Springfield and another gentleman that, that's a member of a big church here in Springfield. And really the rest are pretty much in favor of getting this ordinance passed as best as they can. Now, here's a little bit of information for you. We have showed them the city council and the mayor, in writing, where PROMO, which is a statewide group to promote homosexuality in the Missouri, has said that this is a seven-year battle that they've been wanting to rage or wage in Springfield, Missouri. And if we could get it passed in Missouri, in Springfield, we could pass it in any community in the United States. Those were their words. Well, I believe it. Um, yet at the same time, because Springfield does have a certain amount of charm and a hometown feel, even though it has a population of 180,000, there are so many good-hearted, moral, decent, patriotic people who love God and country down there. I can feel it. And it is something unique to geographically, I feel, that that makes part of that part of the of the country nice so of course when i first got elected to the o'fallon city council we had a similar battle i want to encourage you with this we you know i was only really elected a few months when i received a phone call saying that there was a smut peddling video shop coming into town and what are we going to do about it So I began researching what fell within the right of government to protect its citizens. And the more I studied this, the more I learned that so long as we govern based on what's protecting our property values and protecting the crime rate from going any higher, then that is within the right of the city. So we... I um actually the story started out even more interesting. I I went over to City Hall and I asked the city clerk about the video store that has the porn. She said not to worry about it. We are already protected by our obscenity ordinance. And I said that's lovely. Um where is the obscenity ordinance? And she looked for it for a few minutes, and then she said, actually, let me go research this, and I'll get you a copy within a few days. Ha, ha, ha. So a few days came went by, and I went over to City Hall, and I asked if she had been able to find that copy of our obscenity ordinance, and she said, actually, she just discovered we don't have one. And at that point, I knew it was up to me to pass one. And that battle went on for nine months. We had all kinds of charades. There was a gentleman in the next city over who actually made porn porn movies. 
and uh, and he came to our city hall meetings and he threatened the board of aldermen that if we go forward with this ordinance he's going to disclose to us the 50 police officers who are his regular customers <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like okay. go ahead it won't bother me <laughs> yeah. yeah okay thank you very much <laughs> But this just shows you the charades that people play. And so we did. We started picketing on the street corners, and it was beautiful because we had the Catholic Church and the Mormon Church and, and Protestant churches and homeschoolers and everybody who cared about morality and decency come and picket with us. And we made our statement. And when it finally came to a final vote, we had a board of eight, and it passed five to three. And so it was long and drawn out in the paper, and we went through the same battle, but at the end of the day, we won. The shocking part is that was 1995. Now we're in 2013. I believe we've seen enough decline that it's very close. Whatever happens is probably going to be razor blade thin. The margin is going to pass or fail with. And that's why it's time for everybody to engage. So I was fascinated to read the stories of what happened with the pastor of the James River Assembly. And he wrote the, I, obviously, because we have the beauty of the internet, I read what he, his remarks. It says, Lindell opened his address by saying, let me make it clear. That as followers of Christ, we do not hate anyone. According to our faith and the teaching of the Bible, we would regard everyone in this room, myself included, as sinners in need of God's grace and forgiveness. That being said, I think it is important to make the clear distinction when discussing issues of sexual orientation and gender identity that disagreement is not discrimination. So here he is laying out the foundation, saying, we're about love, we're about law, we're about order, we're about a planned order, about being forgiving and and kind and accommodating. But this is not the same thing. So I loved hearing the follow-up story. Now, since when is it a worthy of another article? more articles that more people are writing in now all upset about the pastor's remarks. Does he not have his freedom of speech? Well, he does. Cindy, he does. But see, that's just it. There's another pastor, and he goes by the name of a Christian pastor. His name is Phil Snyder. He's a pastor of a church here in Springfield, Brentwood Avenue Christian. He did the same thing, only opposite. He was saying what the Bible didn't say about homosexuality, and Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't destroyed for homosexuality. It was destroyed for being unhospitable. Basically, the whole lies that is brought up constantly. Now, when he made that statement, he was free to make that statement. Now, I believe him to be wrong biblically, but and I think there's many others, but he has a right to say that. He has a, a First Amendment right, even though it, it was a wrong statement. He could make that statement, and he wasn't chastised. matter of fact, his video had over a million hits on YouTube because the homosexual community absolutely loved it. But when John Lindell, pastor of the biggest church in southwest Missouri, and he does his statement, now I don't know if you caught that, he was asked by the task force to make a presentation to them. 
So, I mean, he didn't just, hey, let me talk, let me talk. Matter of fact, the first time he was asked to speak to the task force, he turned it down. And I know the reason he turned it down was because when people stand out against homosexuality, they're, they're, they're picked out on and, and they come after them. They come after them wildly, uh, violently with threats. And, and, uh, so when they asked again, he did come forward. He did give, a, you just read part of the speech. He's got it on his little blog at jamesriverassembly.com. And it was a great job. But since he did that, 23 pastors from nine different churches in Springfield have come together with a letter to rebuke him for his hatred. I read that, and the the created a whole other article. Yep. The Springfield News Leader wrote an opinion piece from 23 local pastors, of which a third of them are women. <laughs> yes. And... And pastors of liberal churches that don't hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. They don't well, hold to the fact that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. So we are in a battle for the Bible. Either you believe the Bible's true or you don't believe it's true. If you don't believe it's true, how can you be a pastor? The article did a bad job because they made it sound like it was 23 different churches. But it was only nine churches. Uh, and, and like, Four of the pastors were all from the same church, and to be honest with you, I don't know that they're all four pastors. I think there's, I think they're more of, of lay people, but they might be they classify them as pastors or church leaders or whatever. But really, you know, Springfield's a city with over 300 churches in it, and so here's nine churches coming out to rebuke, probably, probably one of the most respected pastors in the Springfield area by far. And and they come out to, and it, the word says, they, they're rebuking him for his hatred. And you just read, he goes, look, I don't hate anybody. I, I'm not here because I hate them. I, I'm here because this is what the Bible truly says. And and so now we have this going on uh, in Springfield. Interesting. So yeah. let's talk about freedom of speech and how the outcome of this ordinance will affect our First Amendment rights. Okay. I mean, one of the points the pastor made was if somebody has a problem with stealing or with gluttony or with, you name the list of sins, if somebody has a foul mouth on him, um, those are all sins. If somebody has a problem with lying, I don't think that would make a good employee for my store. So if I wouldn't want to hire somebody who lies and steals and cheats, then I may not want to hire other people who have moral failures, and that is my obligation as a and, and my right as an employer to scrutinize who I hire to make sure the person I have representing my company is going to reflect my company's values. How dare anybody want government to grow bigger and encroach on my freedom to operate my business? Exactly. And and we have gone over the last 12 months to many businesses here in Springfield. Uh, you know, really, I, I actually got one of the city attorneys to say, I, I, I go, what you're really telling me is it's okay for me to practice my Christianity on Sunday morning inside my church. But when I come to work, uh, I don't own my own business. I was at the time managing a business. 
And so what you're telling me is I can practice my Christianity in my church on Sunday morning, but when I come to work on Monday morning, I need to leave my faith in the church. And he, he basically said yes. Well, that's, the, that's what it was saying. Right. And so the article says specifically Task Force member Robert Slaylor said many examples Lindell gave, such as anger, incest, or chemical dependence, described situations in which individuals were potentially harmed and thus not applicable to be compared to the issues the task force is researching. However, my point is, if somebody, and we, we all look at the big picture and ask, I wouldn't want somebody on my payroll who has these other problems because they're not going to be good employees for me. Now we are opening up an opportunity for people to sue businesses right and left, and they will make examples out of businesses that don't work with them, uh, and there may be People, I mean, we have, we're looking at dark days. If we want to harass businesses now during a tough economy, I feel sorry for all of us. I do too. I do too. Well, and let me, and maybe this does pertain to it, uh, and I know you're wanting to really focus on the, the, the First Amendment, um, but let me, this is one of the examples that I gave to the city council in Springfield. At the time, we had a former professional baseball player that was one of our city council members. And I said to him, his name is Scott, I said, Scott, this isn't about action, this is about thoughts. He goes, what do you mean? And I said, okay, let's say that I'm going to start a professional baseball team. Well, the first thing I need to do is I need to hire a coach. Let's say the last two people I have to interview are you, being a professional baseball player, and this other guy who is openly gay. Now, he doesn't know anything about baseball. He's never played baseball except for Little League. You're by far the most qualified. So I hire you. I'm in the state of Missouri. I could hire whoever I want. I hire you. This guy files a complaint against me with the city of Springfield because I didn't. he tells them that I didn't hire him because he was gay. Well, according to this ordinance, they will immediately open an investigation on myself and my company, and they will immediately have rights, legal rights, to all of my files and all of my employees' files at the same time. That's more rights than the city police have. And, 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 and so what I was trying to explain to Scott was it wasn't about what I did. It was like, well, it was what, what was I thinking when I hired Scott over this openly gay guy? And, and that's what we're facing. It, it's a matter of opinion. And even if I would have said, look, I'm hiring you, Scott, because you're not gay, you're a great baseball um, uh, coach or, you know, a great baseball player, a great coach, whatever, I can do that. It is my right and it is protected under the First Amendment of the Constitution for me to do and say that. Correct? Well, correct. I uh, read the statement of the 23 pastors who wanted to openly, in a newspaper article, criticize the James River pastor. And the part that amazed me about their logic is they gave examples of where Scripture is twisted all the time. And, and ultimately, though, at the end of it, they were using Scripture to talk about why this is bad. I would like to ask them, why is it that 
the Bible says if you have a problem with a person, you're supposed to pick up the phone and call him or talk directly to him and try and straighten it out with the person you have the problem with, not go publish an article in the newspaper about what a bad pastor this is. So it seems to me if they were seeking reconciliation and a meeting of the minds and harmony and spiritual unity, that they are modeling the, they are the ones who are modeling the vitriolic attitude, the hatefulness. They're trying to tarnish a good man's reputation by airing their dirty laundry in public. And I don't have much respect. If they were 23 citizens who wrote this opinion piece, it would be tolerable to a greater extent than when these people pretend to be pastors. They are supposed to be leading their congregations. And I am sickened by the idea that they would pretend to be spiritual leaders, and then they go off like this, acting as unbiblical as anybody. I have not seen any unbiblical attitude in the, in John Lindell's presentation, and I've seen plenty unbiblical in these 23 who are trying to hurt him. As a bible Christian, um, American, Missourian, um, a wife and a mother, let me ask you this question then. And you should, probably should be asking me, but I'll ask you anyway. All nine of these churches, as Reclaiming Missouri for Christ, I have done my research because we are going to go minister to them in time. But all nine of these churches openly um, excuse homosexuality. It's okay in their church. They welcome it. Uh, matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they did not do domestic partnership in their churches. They have openly said that they would. And all nine of them openly uh, believe it is okay. It is the right of a woman to kill her preborn child in her womb through abortion. Now, if a church believes, and that's just two things, but if a church, a local church, believes those two things, biblically, they can't be Christian churches. In St. Louis, did you see the video of the Gay Pride Day? I've been there. And they had booths set up, and there were churches there, and were, I'll call them pseudo-churches because it doesn't make any sense. And one of them was having communion, and they gave communion to the dogs. I have never seen anything more sacrilegious and offensive. If the New Madrid fault line opened up and God wanted to take take us down... I could understand that because it's a holy and righteous anger for people who are purposely and willfully creating an abomination. And, and you know, though, I would I would argue for their right to to say or do what they're doing. I, I would also, at the same time, I would love to minister to them and, and tell them biblically what they're doing wrong. But but see, to me. They want to shut up the John Lindells, the Cynthia Davises, the Mark Hudges. They want us to be quiet, and they want to be able to say what they want to be able to say. So, see, as soon as you come out and say what they're doing is wrong, then they're going to yell that you hate them. And just because you're telling them the truth doesn't mean you're hating. If, if your kids are doing something wrong and you get onto them, it's not because you hate them. It's because you love them and you want the best for them. And it's the same aspect when it comes to homosexual agenda. I I don't go to a gay pride event and minister and preach because I hate them. If I hated them, I would just stay home with my family or go play golf and let God do what he's going to do with them. But I go because our love for Christ 
compels us to go tell them the truth. You what 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 made you go to a gay pride festival? Well, it started in Springfield. Uh when I found out that Springfield, Missouri, uh had a gay pride event, um I had to go and see I really didn't know what I was going to do. I had to go and see what was going one, I know that biblically it was wrong, morally it's wrong. But what I saw when I got there um would have appalled me whether I was a Christian or not. And and what I mean by that, there were tons of kids, little kids, five years old and younger, running around at this gay pride event while they did, the the adults did their thing. And what I mean did their thing, I could turn your radio program into being X-rated. I I watched a four- or five-year-old little boy put a dollar bill in a G-string of a transvestite on a public street. Now, I have a problem with that, Christianity or no Christianity. You know, and, and this, this, guy's, this, this guy that's dressed as a girl, half of his G-string is undone, and here's this little kid, tip, you know, because he did a dance, and so here's this little kid tipping him. And I knew from that moment on, uh, as a man of God, I have to go and proclaim the truth at these gay privates, because no one's doing it. Uh, that year, there were only three of us in the host city of Springfield that went, to preach the gospel. Um, since then, we've we've built to about oh ten or twelve guys that go. But I know that the gay pride event in San Luis is a lot bigger than Springfield's. But Springfield's is growing, and and why not let Satan gather them all together, and us Christians go and share the truth with them? We're not judging them. God's already judged them according to the Bible. All we're doing is bringing the love of Christ, the same forgiveness that you and I receive, Cynthia, is available for them. But they have to repent of their sin, and their particular sin is the homosexuality. Okay, well, thank you for that. We actually have a caller on the phone, and I'm going to take a phone call real quick. Caller, what would you like to ask Mark Kaiser? Yeah, how you doing, Mark? Ken Beck here from Shellnob, Missouri. My hey, quick Ken. question. Hey, how are you? I I'm have a good. question for you. Um, I've been following this pretty close to myself, and uh, I'm just trying to wonder how we can wake up our own churches in this area to start taking notice of what's going on in in the, especially in the uh, uh, gay and lesbian community, and their attacks on Springfield and, and their attacks on Missouri. How do we make our churches and our leaders in our churches start talking about this in, in, inside the walls and, and, and not just ignore it? Well, I, I tell you, I think the best way is conversation, Ken. I, mm-hmm. I think you should go to the, I, I, the, what I would suggest, and believe me, I have people ask me this every day. The first thing you should do is go to your pastor mm-hmm. and, and, and share with them. I can give you uh, tons of truths that you could share what's happened in Massachusetts, what just happened in St. Louis County just, uh, what, 12 or 6, 8 months ago when they passed it, what's happening mm-hmm. here in Springfield. Um, you know, when Brad Pitt's mom, came out and said about how can you vote for a president that's for same-sex marriage. She was receiving death threats. This is Brad Pitt's mom in Springfield, Missouri, had to hide out because she received death threats over stating her First Amendment right to make that statement. And and so you share that with your pastor. And if I he sure will. If he doesn't get excited, then you say, okay, pastor, I just want you to know I'm going to go to the other people in the church as well. And you just start going to them one, two, three, five at a time, saying, look, this is coming to Shell Not Missouri. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's not here right now, but it's coming. And and you you start having little little Bible studies. You start having little groups over, and you just start. And you try to keep it in front of people as much as you possibly can. Okay, that's the best. Thank way. you very much, and thank you, Cindy. And we like like what you're doing. Keep doing it. Thank you. We'll stay strong. Thank you. And, Mark, uh, we've got another caller. I'm going to let you entertain a question from the St. Louis area. Go ahead, caller. Hi, my name is David uh, from St. Charles. I have a good question. Um, My church was actually discussing this. Um, 33% of Americans now um, claim that they are uh, non-religious or non-Christian, and I was wondering uh, what we can do to... um, curve that problem, lead people back to Christ, or what's your thought? Evangelize. Evangelize. Uh, we we are to, it's the Great Commission, brother. It is the Great Commission that, that was only not given to the disciples. It was given to us. He says, go ye into the whole world, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, I'll go with you. Evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. What That's do you what, mean that, by evangelize? Can you be a little more specific? How do we, I guess, for those who may not be related to those words, what what is a big picture idea of how we're going to do that? Sharing the salvation message. There's numerous ways you can do it. One, you can do it verbally by you just walk up and, and start talking to someone about the things of Jesus. Uh, one of the questions I use all the time, I use it probably daily. Hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? Well, guess what? That starts a pretty good conversation about Jesus. Uh, you use Bible tracts. Um, I call it intentional witnessing. What I mean by intentional witnessing is I'm constantly wanting to talk to people about Jesus because it wasn't until I was 35 years old that I got saved. And, and I really, honestly, do not remember very many people telling me about Jesus. Well, when we find the greatest thing in the world, we should want to tell people about it, right? And and I think too much, too often, sir, we, we keep quiet because we're afraid we're going to offend people. And I'm just going to tell you, we're not going to offend them. I mean, there are people out there right now that are hurting, whether it be over the economy, whether it be over some sin in their life, whether it be over family messed up, whatever it might be, they're hurting and their only answer is Jesus, and they're just waiting for someone bold enough to tell them about it. And David, do you? Um, let me ask you: Do you have any? Let me. Do you have a story of a direct experience you've been through with this? Ah, uh, well, I have been um, going door to door, handing out uh, the uh, pamphlets that are uh, "This Is Your Life," and um, I noticed that. Um, people do actually. They want to, even if they don't know the word. They do want to hear it. Actually, they will listen to you. Well, I'm going to tell you <laughs> honestly, and Cynthia probably agree with me. In many cases, they're not hearing it at church on Sunday, even if they go. Yeah. And so many people are getting tired. They're leaving the faith because they're not being challenged. And it sounds to me, if you called in, you probably have a passion for it. And if we have time, I can tell you there's a great website. If you, all you got to do is type in Mark Cahill, and he spells his last name C A H I L L. Mm-hmm. Go to his website, and he has tons, 
tons of resources, but order a book um, that he has, and he'll actually send it to you for free. It's called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And I'll ask that question. Hey, what's one thing you can't do in heaven? Do you know? You can't You can't witness because there's no lost people in heaven. So if you can't witness in heaven, we probably ought to do it here. And so I just encourage you to to, to get a hold of Mark Cahill, get that book and read it. And I promise you, you won't make it through the whole book before you have to put it down and go out and share Jesus with people in your community. Well, let me, ask, okay. let me ask you this, Mark. Are, can you, do you think we're going to be able to eat ice cream in heaven? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're asking a fat guy that, so yes. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> yeah, no, let's not talk about gluttony tonight, Cynthia, please. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're with you. Now, let me just say, I have some friends who are homosexual, and that's true, the most loving thing we can do is to acknowledge that they need a savior also we all need a savior every one of us and we're all going to look at the, the bigger problem is not what they do here on earth in the bedroom the bigger problem is spending eternity separated from god in the lake of fire that's a bigger problem and the most loving thing we can do if we truly love our neighbors is to help them and not everybody who's a homosexual wants to change public policy the reason you've got a problem down there in springfield is because they're not content to just do things in the privacy of their bedroom they want to change our culture they want to the ones who are pushing this are not just happy to be left alone and want everybody to just leave them alone. We're talking about people who feel like they need to make sure our society is forever and permanently changed now, and that's a problem. It is. It's one of the common occurrences I get at, at, at gay pride events is I get them, many of them say to me, why don't you go down and preach to the drug addicts? Why don't you go down and preach to the drunks? And, 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 and I do do that. I, I do go out and minister to those. But the key difference is, and I used to be one of those drunks. I used to be one of those guys that frequent bars four or five nights a week. The big difference is none of them want it taught in the public square that's an acceptable behavior. I have never met an alcoholic that wants people taught that it's okay. I've never met a drug addict that wants the public schools to be taught that it's acceptable behavior. They all know that it's wrong. And with the other side of it, the homosexuals, they want it taught that it's acceptable behavior. And it can't, we can't allow it. it. It cannot be taught in the public square that it's acceptable behavior because it's, it's not natural. Well, let me ask you a broader question on your – what is your ministry reclaiming Missouri for Christ about anyway? And And let me ask you this. I don't know that we can get good people elected anymore. Um, there are a few that – that will win their elections despite it. I am concerned that someday my grandchildren might come to me and say, Grandma, how was it possible that you were a Christian and you could hold public office? And uh, did you have to keep it hush-hush or something? I I don't know what's going to happen, but here's the question. If you're in a boat and the boat is sinking, when is it time to bail out the water and when is it time to get into the lifeboat? Well, and, and I believe me, you and I talked about that question. Um, 
the problem is many of them that are still in the boat don't think the leak's bad enough. And, and they're not going to get out of the boat until they realize that, that it's the Titanic and they're not going to save it. And I don't use that means that term lightly by saying the Titanic, but that that's really what we're in. Well, let's so talk about the Titanic. I, I want. I just heard about this recently that th- that the first lifeboats that left the Titanic were only half full because right. the people on the boat didn't even believe the problem was that serious, and so they were reluctant to get in the lifeboats. In fact, one of them said to his wife and kids, "I'll see you later when you come back." And well, yeah. who could guess? You know, though, Cynthia, that's ex- excellent. Uh, man, we, we think alike. Because, see, to me, my picture of the Titanic and those lifeboats is the real Christians right now today are in those lifeboats. And we got to go back and get those that are still in the water. We can't just keep rowing away from them and saying, oh, someone else will take care of them. They are, like you already said, they are our neighbor. And we are to go back and risk our life to to save them. And and that's what Reclaiming Missouri for Christ is all about. I do not believe that we're going to fix the state of Missouri by starting in Jefferson City, Missouri. We're not going to start at the top and work down. To fix the state of Missouri, we're going to have to start at the bottom and work up. And, and that's what we do at Reclaiming Missouri for Christ. We do what I just told Ken. We get into conversations with individuals. We we help families. We we help uh, small communities. We help churches. Because you know this statement. So goes the family. So goes the church. So goes the city. So goes the state. So goes the country. And, and so that's where it starts. And that's what we do is reclaiming Missouri for Christ is we, first of all, we shout out for what the Bible says. Because that that's how all battles are won and lost is through the gospel. And second of all is is next is the Constitution. And that's the only two things we have left to stand on. Somebody once said, if the church used to hold the culture accountable and preserve the culture, but who's going to preserve the church? And what's going to happen if the church can no longer provide that function for the culture? What's left? Uh, well, as you've already said, I think twice so far, we're in dark, we're in dark days. And, uh, we're in dark days, uh, here's, I have a quote I want to share with you. It's from William Wilberforce. He says this, he says, Christians ask us not, I'm sorry, let me back up. Christianity asks not merely to be generally religious and moral, but to believe specifically the doctrines, to consume the principles, and to, to practice the precepts of Christ. And really, that's what we're not doing in Missouri, is we're not practicing the precepts. We're not practicing the things of Christ. We're, oh yeah, we're religious, and oh yeah, we'll go to church, and our churches are full on Sunday, but we're not engaging our culture. And and, uh, Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He didn't say you're the salt in your church. He didn't say you're the light in your, your your big fortress of the church, he said you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That means that we have to go out and add flavor. We have to go out and add preservative. We have to go out and shine light where there's darkness. And and that's my, my clarion call to the churches. This church, we've got to quit playing church. We've got we've got to go on the advance. 
That is a great clarion call. I want to join you, and I want all our listeners to join you, because that's why Why are we even here? If we're not going to make a difference, God didn't leave us here so we could watch American Idol on the TV every every week or so we could guess who's going to be voted off the island on Survivor. God <laughs> left us here to do something way bigger, way more important, and way more satisfying than eating my favorite ice cream at night. So, with all that said, what do you want to wrap up with and give us your website? What is the one closing thought that we need to all remember? Okay. Um, I think there's so many directions we could go. But where, where we have been over the last hour is I would have to close with this. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, he's going to build the church. But the next part's the key. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what we have to understand is the gate that gates do not move. I grew up on a farm, gates only open and close. Gates keep things in. So with that idea in mind, it's the church that is supposed to be on the advance against evil. Evil will always prevail against the Democratic Party. Evil will always prevail against the Republican Party. And evil will always prevail against conservatism, but evil cannot prevail against the church. So we have to be on the advance. We have to take the light into a dark world. Uh, our website is www.missouriforchrist.org. That's missouriforchrist.org. Nice. So thank you for spending an evening with us tonight, Mark. It's been a pleasure and a delight. I hope that we'll have you back when we can get a new update on what you're doing next to reclaim Missouri for Christ. And up t- until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. It was a blessing to be with you, Cynthia. God bless you. All right, my friend. We'll go ahead and we'll just keep the faith. We'll keep the okay. faith. We'll stay strong and we'll be brave. Thank you, Mark. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. This has been another edition of Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis and hope you enjoyed our program. Please join us next week when we offer another infusion of truth, honesty, and solutions that will grow people bigger and shrink government smaller. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. This is the home.